Thank you, Alex and Lorinda. I appreciate that beautiful testimony and song this morning. I think those songs, especially that particular one, has more meaning when you've been put into that position where you've been offered fame or fortune or whatever, knowing that it's going to cost you your relationship with the Lord. I think it's easy maybe to sing that song or if you've never been put to that test. And uh, I know that that, for me, especially when I when I was 16 and answered the call to preach, it didn't take but maybe a week or two, and I was getting phone calls offering full-ride scholarships to do other things that, other than what God wanted me to do. Offers of large salaries and those kind of things. And it was actually that song that was one of the songs that that really helped me to to understand and to know that this is that I wanted God more more than those things that the world could offer. We get one life. We get one. And I want to live mine for the Lord. Amen. Turn with me if you would to the ninth division of the Psalms. Ninth division of the Psalms. I have um, I have the start of another series. I didn't know if I was going to start a series and or not, how the Lord was going to lead me. And in fact, I had actually kind of was thinking another series, a, a different a different line of thought. And as I was as I was beginning to prepare for that, I felt like the Lord led us in this direction. And. Uh, I honestly don't know how long it's going to take us to get through this. Uh, I was telling, telling Trish, I said, really, to do this justice, I might take the whole year. And so I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the Lord's will. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. Um, and I certainly don't want us to get bogged down or bored. Um, but I certainly um, I'm looking forward to what God has for us. To be honest with you, I've been wanting to preach this series for probably a decade, but the Lord finally has led us this way, and so we're looking forward to it. I'm, I'm excited about it, and I trust you will be too. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Psalms 9, and we're just going to lift two verses out of Psalms 9, verses 9 and 10. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And I'd like to lift for our text that first part in verse 10, and they that know thy name. And they that know thy name. Father, what a privilege to call you that. 
to know you, and to know that you love us and that you care for us. We ask for your special touch. You know how this week has gone. You know all about the burdens that each one of us brought with us this morning. We just ask that you would come this part of the service and for a little while to focus on who you are. We ask that you would anoint and help us one more time. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Those of you that are parents, do you remember the struggle that you had naming your children? For some, it was easy. Dennis's name was picked out. Before, I don't even know if we were engaged yet. But I knew that I wanted to name my first son after my father, who had passed when I was young. And so I, I knew Dennis had to be Dennis. Just knew that. And uh, the middle name was up for some debate because my brother actually got my father's middle name. And so we gave Dennis a different middle name than what my father had. But that he was easy. Now, Brandon, <laughs> that was a struggle. We went through baby books, and I don't know, did we go through websites for him? I know we did for Eliana and Kelsey. I mean, it, we struggled and struggled and struggled to get the right name. Because, you know, a name is important. I mean, a name is, is I mean, they, that's, they have to live with that for the rest of their life. And even after they're dead, you know, it's, it's there on the tombstone. There's one set of parents, they, they named their son Odd. What a terrible thing to name your son Odd. And he lived through that. It was miserable to live through that. And he, and, he, and he put in his will that when he died, he did not want any name put on his tombstone. And so they died. They buried him. They, they honored his wish. They didn't put a name on it. And when people would walk by and they'd see there was no name, they'd say, that's odd. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to give your kid the wrong name. And so we struggled. Do you, do you name him after someone in the family? We, Dennis, we did. Do we, do we honor someone else in our family? Do you go through the family tree and find somebody? You know, that was his thing to do in Bible days. Remember Zechariah when he wanted to name uh, John John? The, some of the people had a fit because that's not how you do things. There's nobody named John in your family line. And, and there are some people who were having issue with that because that's the way to do it, at least in their culture, in their time. So know that, we, maybe not that. Well, then maybe do you go for meanings? Do you know what, what the meaning of the name is? I mean, Dennis's meaning is really great. He's the follower of Dionysius, the Greek god of wine. Isn't that a great meaning for Dennis? Woohoo! Man, we, we've set him on the right course right from day one. And Brandon talks about broom on a hill. You know, 
he says, no, there's, he found a place that said Brandon means princely, and that's the, what, he, what he accepts. But do you go by meaning? Or maybe you go by the way it sounds. Do you, do you like the way that it sounds? And often that's really important when picking out the middle name. You know, that, I mean, when you're picking out, you want it to just kind of flow. Of course, then they, you know, if you have a daughter and she gets married and then she gets a weird last name and it just doesn't flow anymore. But everything just, I mean, there's just a lot of, now maybe some of you, you didn't have that struggle. Maybe for you, it was just, you know, it just kind of, yeah, we're going to name him this or that. Or, you know, I've got a brother-in-law and sister-in-law that, that they made an agreement that all the girls, the, the, my sister-in-law would name, and all the sons, my brother-in-law would name. They've had three daughters and no boys, and so he hasn't gotten to name a single one of them. <laughs> he made a bad deal. But for, I remember for us, my wife and I have very different tastes in names. Very, very different tastes in names. And so, I, you know, we'd be going through the, the website and whatever, and I'd find one that, that I liked, and I'd say it, and immediately, no. She said more no's to me on that than I think she has anything else, and that's saying something. And then she'd come up with the name. She'd find one she'd like, and I'd say, no. I mean, we're going to have to listen to that name for the, rest of, you know, for the rest of our lives, we hope. It's a big deal. And maybe you're just like, eh, you know, maybe it wasn't as big of a deal for you, but for us, it was. But you know what's kind of funny is, is that... Lots of us will answer to all sorts of names. You know, I was thinking about all the names that I'm called. Man, I'm called a lot of things. Some people call me Pastor Morford. Some call me Pastor Jeremy. Some just call me Jeremy. When I was growing up, if I ever heard Jeremy Owen Morford, I knew my name was Mud. <laughs> it was, I was in trouble. My wife calls me Honey on occasion. I mean, I answer to a lot of different things. Maybe someday I'll answer to Dr. Morford. I don't know if I'll ever get that dissertation done. Not really worried about the title. But you think about it. We answer to, I mean, I answer to dad, to daddy, Uncle Jeremy, son. There's a lot of a lot of names that I answer to. And I won't tell you my childhood nicknames. You know, it's kind of funny. You know, nicknames, uh, you know, some, some uh, really have some value to their nicknames. They mean something. They tell a story about that person and their character. And in the Bible, a name meant even more. It was your calling card. And it was supposed to reflect who you were. Just this week, we were, I was reading in our devotions about Jacob and his name being heel grasper, deceiver. And Esau says, wasn't he rightly named? He's cheated me out of my birthright and he's cheated me out of my blessing. 
He was rightly named. And you know what's so funny? It isn't just too many chapters later. Now, it's several years, but not too many chapters later. And God goes and changes Jacob's name to one who wrestles with God. Israel. God says, your name used to mean deceiver and trickster, but we're changing your name for something that reflects who you are now. Very few of us get a name change. The ladies, when you get married. And our names can have great importance. My grandfather, who's in the hospital now, he and I share a middle name. And so my name has some heritage, some value that way. Dennis, I told you, was named after my father, and it's a heritage. And names can still have some meaning. Eliana's name is that God answers. And we almost lost her during the pregnancy. And her name has special meaning to us. And some of us live up to our names, and some of us don't live up to our names. Kelsey's name means brave, and she is not afraid of anything. She'll try things that Eliana would never dream of trying. I don't know if it's because of her name meaning, and if that just kind of happens. One of the things that I try to tell my children is I, I say, that is not how Morford behaves. Our name is going to mean something. If you go back to, to my home area, unless they knew my dad, if they knew my, my dad's brothers and my cousins and so forth, the Morford name has no value. The, the, the character, the name of that has been, it's not good. Most of my, in fact, I think all of my uncles have struggled with addictions, struggled with employment because of their addictions. But I have determined that, that when others, maybe not from that area, but, but those that, that I have influence with, Morford's not a common name. It's not like Smith or Jones. I want, when people think of Morford, I want them to think of a certain character certain qualities, certain traits. And I've tried to raise my children with that mindset. Other people can act that way. Other people can do those things. But we are Morfords. We're not going to behave that way. We're not going to talk that way. We're not going to live that way. We are going to be different. And you know, really... Much more value than our name is the character, the reputation that goes along with that name. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've never met anybody named Judas, but I've met Peters. I've never met a Jezebel, but I've met a Thomas. I've, I've never met an Ahab, 
but I've met Luke's and John's and Timothy's. You know, we can ruin a name because of the character that we associate with it. Do you know who has the hardest time naming their children? Teachers. It's true. I'm married to one, I know. I like a certain name, and my wife will say, Oh no! I know a cat! <laughs> I'd mention another name. Oh no! <laughs> There's a reason that Eliana, we don't call her Ellie. And it all has to do with my wife knows somebody who is named Ellie. And for her, she can't get it out of her head. Ellie equals this other person, and Eliana could never, ever be shortened to Ellie. Couldn't be done. And if anybody who tried, she let them know. Do you know why? Because we know people, especially teachers, they associate character with a name. We do it. We may not mean to. We may know that it's silly and it really kind of is. But you know what? Really, it's not. Do you know there's a disproportionate number of dentists whose names are Dennis because Dennis and Dennis are so close? There is a disproportionate, the, the statistics are skewed. Dennis's become dentists. There's a skew as well in Lawrence's becoming lawyers. Because the names sound similar. And so maybe the name is important. But really the character, the character is what behind that name is what really matters. I'm saying all this to help us to understand that as we begin to try to understand the names that God has either has given himself or has allowed people to give him in Scripture. They reveal who he is. And, as, and, and I feel like the Lord would want us to spend some time understanding the names of God. Because by knowing those names, we better understand him. We better understand him. You know, it's interesting. One of the first things we do when we meet somebody is we give them our name. Now, I don't know why we do that because the person promptly forgets it. Especially if it's me you're giving the name to. I have to know, hear it several, several times before I actually know the name. But we do that not because we need a label. Hey, you works. But we do that because 
This is, we are defining who we are by our name. And there are different times where God says, this is my name. And they're different. And God is saying to us, this is who I am. But there's some reasons why I think that we need to, to understand who God is and his names. And the first one is, is that because God commands us to honor his name. It's amazing to me that the very beginning of the Ten Commandments all have to do with respect and honor to the position of God. Three commands. Three commands. And the greatest commandment is to love God. Our greatest commandment. And yet here we have honor the name of God. And do you know what amazes me? Is no one blasphemes other people's gods. Nobody uses the name of Zeus as a byword. Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, Zeus? Doesn't happen. Have you ever heard them use Allah's name in vain? Doesn't happen. You know why? There's no power in those names. There's no authority in those names. There's no glory and honor in those names. No one uses my name in vain. They never would. There's no power in my name. And God says, honor, if we were going to put it in a positive, he says, do not use the Lord's name in vain. But if we were to put it as a positive, he says, honor God's name. Honor God's name. And how do we do that? First of all, we use his name carefully. We are, we, you know, we are very careful about the way that we say his name. We can say, oh God, in a way that is holy and reverent, and we can say, oh God, in a way that is totally, totally disrespectful. Same words, but the heart, the way we say it. You ever challenge somebody on what they say, maybe a, one of your children, and you've challenged them, and they said, but I just said, and they repeat back what they said, but they ch didn't include the tone. Your words could be fine, but your tone can be awful. God says, honor my name. I think one of the ways that we dishonor God's name the most is we've taken his name as Christian. We wear his name and then don't live up to that. And you know, I, I almost wonder if maybe, just maybe, that God is more grieved by that misuse of his name than he is even of using it as a byword. Those that have 
proclaim their status as a Christian and, and then we find out they're keeping hidden, dark, terrible sins. And we all know about the scandals. We know about the televangelist who fell. We know about the Catholic scandals. The Southern Baptists are going through it right now. Over and over, we're hearing about these scandals of, of denominations that covered up the sins of their ministers. And now it's being broken out. And guess what? The world has no respect for the ministry anymore because the church has taken the name of Christ and have misused it. They have dishonored his name. And the way you conduct yourself in the home. Have you honored his name in front of your children or have you blasphemed it by saying you live one way at church, but when you go home you live the complete opposite? We dishonor his name. How about at work? How about in, in, in our communities? Are we honoring his name by the way that we live? This I believe with all my heart. It is better to be out and out a sinner and, and, and define where you're at than to go through the motions and take on a name that doesn't belong to you. I have a relative that, that sometimes professed and sometimes didn't. And you never knew whether they were in or out. And if they'd do something and, and, and we'd say, well, you know, that's not how a Christian should behave. Well, they say, well, I'm not professing right now. Oh. You need to help us to know when you're professing and when you're not. I don't know if you need to wear a name tag or, or just what you need to do. But, but this isn't working. You can't be in and out constantly and we have to guess. It dishonors the name of Christ. I'm not talking about somebody who's struggling. I'm not talking about somebody who's, who's per, trying to persevere. I'm talking about taking and saying, I am a Christian and doing your best to live that way. To honor the name of God in all that we say, all that we do, in all that we think, in all the things we love, in all the things that we hate. We honor God by our lives. We honor his name. And it's a, I believe it's a dangerous thing to take his name and wear it flippantly. It is probably the greatest blasphemy of our day. We're commanded to honor his name. How can, we, how can we honor his name if we don't know what it is? I think in our circles, we've become very comfortable with just saying God, which is generic. And you know, each of us, I, th I think all of us probably have our favorite name for God. I had a professor in, in my master's program who always refers to God as my Lord. And when she said it, you believed it. It was the most intimate way that, that she said it, the way that she approached it. 
you knew that she meant that he was Lord. It, it had special meaning to her. I have never met anyone in my entire life who called Christ my Lord the way she did. She didn't look like us, didn't dress like us, but wow, he was Lord. You knew it. You knew it by the, by the love that dripped from the words, my Lord. You just knew. For me, probably the, the name that, that has the, the, some of the greatest meaning to me is father. Losing my father at a young age and, and the scripture and the promise I'll be a father to the fatherless, father became an incredibly important name for God for me. And almost always when you hear me pray, you hear me say, Father. It's not intentional. I don't think about it. And, and I don't mean it to be redundant. I don't mean for it to be mindless. But that is the name that carries some of the greatest meaning to me. Because he was a father to me and has been a father to me. And our relationship and, and may be a little different than your relationship with God because of the intimacy that, and, and the relationship that I have with God. Because when you would call your dad up for advice, I have to go to the prayer and talk to my heavenly father for advice. And that's our relationship. And maybe for you, you have another name. Maybe there's something else that when you pray, you just naturally go to that because it is your Special connection to God. And that's one of the things that I think is so incredible about this. Is that God has multiple names because he knows his children have multiple needs. And so we're called, we're commanded. We're commanded, honor his name. But not only are we commanded to honor his name, but we are compelled to praise his name. We are compelled. When we see who God is, when we recognize his character, when we recognize all that he does, when we understand at least to some degree his power and his holiness and his glory and all of these things, all this weight that behind the name of God, we are compelled. We must... Praise Him. It becomes natural. I, I don't think you have to teach people how to praise God. Now, we may teach them how to praise God in the way that we prefer, which makes me a little bit nervous when I think about that. Someone who doesn't know how to praise God, our children that are coming up, they don't know. They're looking at us. How do... How do we praise God? How do, we, how do, how do my parents and, and how do the people that I worship with, how do they praise God? And do you know what? It is very likely that they will believe that that is the way, the way to praise God. Some of you have had the privilege to go to churches of different denominations. 
And you know what? You go in and the way that they praise God is a little different. And some things you go, well, that's neat. That's kind of cool. We could, we could do that. I don't have a problem with that. And then other things just make you feel weird. And some just make you kind of nauseous. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Lights are flashing and lasers in your eye. I mean, fog machines. and Man, just kind of, whoa. Just someone settled the building down here. And some people praise God really, really quietly. And they just sit there and weep in, in the presence of God. And some people are really, really loud. I was telling the Sunday school class that the church that I grew up in, what it, they, were, they had been Nazarenes before, and, and they, they still called themselves when I was a kid, Noiserenes. My church grew up noisy. Not that we didn't ever have quiet times where the Holy Spirit just quieted in and we just were all si kind of silent before the Lord. But there were a lot of times when there was yelling and screaming and carrying on. Brother Ernie Han too, all the young people sat in the front couple rows and he sat right behind us and he'd get blessed and he'd let out a war hoop and the whole young people, we'd all jump at the same time. He'd about terrify you. I got to the place where the service started getting good and starting to move that way. I'd start preparing for it because I knew it was coming. And it wasn't anything to see a lady in the aisles with her, a handkerchief and hollering and carrying on. And, and some of you have people in your history who did just that. There's names that are going through your mind. People who worship that way. I'm afraid for our kids that they're losing that. I think there's value in noisy worship. There's value in that. There's value in silent worship and the tears and, and just quietly. But you know where there's no value? In mindless worship. Where we grab the hymn book and we know the hymn so well that we don't need to look at the words, and that's fine because I don't look at the words most times either. But the head is totally disengaged because we know the words so well we don't need to even think about it. And the heart's not engaged because, you know, we've, we've got other things that are more pressing on our hearts. If we're bored in worship... It's a problem. And do you know whose problem it is? It's our own. Well, that particular music leader, that worship leader, he's kind of boring. He, I mean, he gets up there, you can't hardly hear him, and, and you know, he kind of, you know, and it just kind of... And, and, So? So? Are you worshiping the song leader? Are you worshiping God? You know, when, when that particular person gets up to sing, they hit every wrong note. If they ever hit a right note, it was by accident. That's why I don't sing any specials. But you know, I've been in service before 
where someone got up and they, they sounded awful, but the Lord's presence came anyways because there was a determination in the hearts of people to worship. And I'm serious that when I tell you that, that uh, the ones that I, especially that I'm thinking of, it seemed like he hit every wrong note. And yet God came. I was just a young person and I just marveled that God would come when, there was, when it sounded so bad. It wasn't because of him and it wasn't because of, uh, of uh, just routine, but it was because there were, the people came with a mind to worship. So many of you have short tri- uh, trips here. How long does it take you to start worshiping? How long does it take you to get in the mind of it? Samuel Logan Bringle writes about a man who would come to the church early and he'd play his violin and he'd play a bunch of secular songs before worship, just practicing and playing his violin. He said it didn't take long and he was backslidden because he was not preparing his heart for worship. He'd show up for worship and he'd have all these secular songs. Maybe not bad, but the songs didn't prepare his heart for worship. We just walk over. But on a Sunday morning, I always, as I'm getting ready, I try to put on Christian music that's going to help me get into a spirit of worship. And I try to listen only to songs that are worshipful. Not ones that are going to make me clap my hands and stomp my foot. I might can listen to those at other times, but I'm trying to prepare my heart for worship, and I try to get here early so that I can prepare my mind, and I don't like it when someone gets here before I do. And it sometimes happens on a Sunday morning. Try to make sure that never happens, but a couple get here early sometimes. But I want to make sure that that I'm in a place of worship before anybody comes, and I'm hoping that somehow the atmosphere can be such that when people enter in, they already recognize the Holy Spirit's here. But oftentimes we come in and we forget that the Holy Spirit's here, and we, and we come in and we act like He's not here yet. You know, we, we make a big deal, and we ought to, about our children reverencing the house of the Lord. We were pretty strict on our kids about behavior before and after church, especially running in church and those kind of things, and they're important. I think those rules are important. But do you know we can, dis- we can be just as dishonoring, and, maybe, and then really, let me just be honest, more so because we know better. When we come into church and we don't have our hearts prepared for worship and we're, re- we're more quickly to talk about our problems and our situations and our whatever without any regard to the Holy Spirit being here yet. All I can tell you is, as a young person, I went to a church that on Saturday or Sunday nights, people came early to pray, and when it was time for worship, the presence of God was already here. You didn't have to worry about... In fact, it was neat the way that the church was set up. The, 
the um, sanctuary had it do uh, doors that separated it from the vestibule area. And so some people that wanted to just chat, they had to stay out there. But the sanctuary was a place where prayer was taking place. And when you entered it through those doors, you sensed God's presence immediately. But we've lost that. We've lost it. Our kids know very little about that. And then we complain because our children don't reverence God's house. Well, we haven't reverenced it in our adult ways. In our adult ways. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with talking. I like fellowship. I believe God's uh, uh, I believe the church is designed. I believe that fellowship is a part of it and needs to be a part of it. The apostles, they went from house to house. They worshiped together and they broke bread. They had a meal every day with each other. They had fellowship every single day. Man, if I tried to get that once a week, some of you would have my hide. The apostles did it every day. Fellowship's important. I don't believe that dishonors God in any way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where we don't come in and we don't leave with the Spirit of God is here. And then we say, well, the presence of the Lord didn't come in our song service today. You know, sometimes we have to invite, in fact, most of the time, we have to invite the Holy Spirit in Not because he isn't already here, but because it takes us a long time to recognize he's here. We are very poor at recognizing when the presence of the Lord is in a place. Some people are good at it. Some people have practiced the presence of God. And, they, and, the, and it's interesting that they practiced it. Like riding a bicycle or, or anything else, you are playing the piano, they've practiced God's presence is everywhere, and they're practicing being aware of that. And you can read books and you can study ab about practicing the presence of God. You can Google that, and you'll get several thousand hits on that. But we don't practice God's presence at our job or at our in the car. Oh, it happens sometimes, and, we, and it kind of surprises us. It's so rare that when it happens, we, we testify about it. And that's good. We should testify about it. But not because it's rare, but because it's common. Because it's common. We're compelled to praise His name. If the only time you practice praising God's name is on Sunday and Wednesday, you're missing out. I don't know what your personal devotions look like, but I hope there's a time for praise. There's sometimes that I'll go to the place of prayer and I'll say, Lord, you already know all my needs and all my wants. Today I'm just going to praise you. And sometimes in the midst of praising, I'll... My heart will say, but what about this? And what about this need? And what about this need? And I just kind of press it down. The Lord knows. Today's prayers are for him. Because sometimes I just feel compelled to praise him. 
when I think about what he's done for me and when I think of where he's brought me from and when I think about how he's helping me. You know, it's the, it's the new year and, and I like to do an inventory. I like to see where, where I am in the last year. And I, and I just... I was able to... It, I just thought about all the ways that God has moved me up in this last year and I just was marveled at how God grew me a lot of it was through trials, and a lot. 2019 was a difficult year for us. You know that. And yet, through all that adversity, God kept kept molding and shaping, and 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 I just couldn't help but praise Him for for the growth. And maybe that's what helped shape last Sunday morning's message. But the adversity brought growth and I couldn't help but praise Him in the, for the trials that, that brought forth glory. Amen. Not my glory, but His glory. I just felt compelled to. I couldn't help myself. When's the last time you couldn't help but praise the Lord? What a what a moment. What a what a sacred moment when you can't do anything but praise God. And you don't want to do anything else. You say I'm not there. Or it's been a long time. It starts with gratitude. And it starts with knowing his name and knowing the character behind that name. We're compelled. We're compelled to praise Him. And finally, I'd suggest to us that we are challenged to trust His name. We're challenged to trust His name. The verses that I read to you from Psalms 9 tell us that they that know His name can trust Him. They can put their trust in Him. His name is a refuge for us. When I came and did a trial sermon for you all, getting close to three years ago now, not a one of you trusted me. Not a one of you did. I came, you'd never heard of me before, as some eastern guy from New York of all states, not really from there, but that's where I was living at the time, you didn't trust me, Jeremy Morford, who's that? Brother Gary knew, he had a recommendation from someone he knew. And that gave me a little something, maybe. But he knew my sister-in-law, which I think that gave me a little something, but I don't know if it should. I know some of my, I know some of my in-laws, some of the other ones. <laughs> you didn't trust me. You didn't know me. You didn't know my character. You didn't know my sermons. You didn't know anything about me. Some of you had gone online and heard some of the sermons I had preached at our last church. They were, 
and got maybe a little bit of an idea, but you didn't know me. But two and a half years later, you've made a decision about me. Hopefully you trust me by now. Maybe you've decided not to. I don't know. <laughs> but it's been by knowing the character behind the name that has allowed you to decide whether I'm trustworthy or not. Autumn doesn't know me yet. We'll give her a pass. But the rest of you have made a decision based on two and a half years of watching me live and hearing me preach and deciding whether I live what I preach and whether I'm consistent, whether I'm harsh or gentle, whether I'm straightforward or whether I beat around the bush. You've made a decision on whether I'm trustworthy or not. You took a chance on me before, but now you know. Now you've decided. And yes, every day could change it. I could, I could dishonor my character. I could dishonor myself. But you've made a decision. And if someone went out there and told you something about me, you would, you would know pretty quick whether you'd believe it or not. You'd know pretty quick. And God says, if you will know my name, you will trust me. You will. You will find him to be a refuge. You will find him to be your strength. You will find him to be your foundation. You will find him to be your deliverer. You will find him to be your shield and your buckler. He has promised that he would be your strong tower. And as you have put his claims to the test, you have found that you can trust him. We can trust in the name of Jesus. And when we know his name, it makes all the difference in the world. And how many times under great burden, under terrible duress, all you could say was the name of, of Jesus. That was the only thing that you could pray. The only words that would be formed. Your mind and your heart had no ability to hardly put any other words to it. All you could do was call upon the name of the Lord. And God responded. He responded. And what's amazing to me is he always responds to his name. I don't always respond to my name. I might not hear you. I might be so involved in what I'm doing that I don't recognize you're talking to me. That happens a lot at my house. I don't know if I'm going deaf or they're mumbling or, or just what's going on, but man, I just I don't always respond to my name. My family would vehemently agree with that. But God always 
responds to his name. And do you know what? The challenge to us is to trust in the, not just his name. There's people named Jesus. There, in fact, Jesus is a common name in, in Bible times. In fact, Jesus is just the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew form. Lots of Joshua's. I know lots of Josh's. There's no power in Joshua. There's no even real power in Jesus as, as it's given, but it's the person and the character behind the name. And it's one of the reasons why often in our culture we don't name our children Jesus. Because we recognize that there's power and sacredness in his name. Now in Spanish cultures, it's, uh, it's an honor to name your, your child Jesus. It's a very, it, it's, very, uh, it, it's a very different approach. But for us, we're saying the name of Jesus is so powerful and so mighty, we wouldn't, we wouldn't give that burden to a child let alone try to take some of that glory for our child. I'm not saying one side's right or one side's wrong. I'm just talking about our culture. The power isn't in, in a name. The power is in the personhood behind his name. The power is in the character behind that name. The power is in the Lord himself. But we call upon the name of the Lord. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And you can trust in our military and our navy and our ships, our battleships and our, uh, and our aircraft carriers and our nuclear weapons and our tanks and our bombs and all those things. But folks, what has the great power in this world is the name of the Lord our God. And the challenge for us this, this year is, and, and through this series is to, to put our trust and confidence not just in a name, but in the character of the person behind that name. And if we can do that, if we can know him better, if we can understand just a little bit better about who he is, I believe our trust our confidence, and our faith will grow. I want to know him better this year. I want to love him better. I want to serve him better. Most of all, I want to be more like him. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Is there anything else? worth pursuing? Is there any greater New Year's resolution or desire or passion? Is there anything higher or nobler than to be like Jesus? That's my prayer. That's my prayer. This year and every year, Lord, help me be a little more like you. Stand thine own image deep on my heart. Not shallow, not just a faint, 
just a faint outline, but stamp it so deep that it's the first thing that anyone notices is the image of God deep in my heart. But to, know, but to have his image, we have to know his character and to know him. It's our challenge this year. It's our challenge every day to know him and to be like him. Let's stand together. Brother Dean, would you dismiss us in prayer?